Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The following podcast is for parents, maybe not for kids. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 3rd, the Spoiling Santa edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. I'm the dad to Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13, and we live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's eight, Oliver, who's six, and Teddy, who's four, and I'm living in Navarre, Florida. I'm Jimmy Lillemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, host of Slate's The Kids Are Asleep, and mom to Naima, who is seven, and we live in Los Angeles, California. On this week's episode, Christmas is coming. Santa's packing up a sleigh. Parents are agonizing, as always, about gifts. We've got a question from the parents of a six-year-old who has some doubts about Santa and is basing her continued belief on whether or not she gets a pony for Christmas. We'll also be advising an older sister who's worried about her high school-aged brother's slacking in remote school. On our Slate Plus bonus segment this week, we'll be discussing mall Santas behind plexiglass, Zoom Santas, and all the other ways that St. Nick is trying to make it through 2020. And as always, we have triumphs, we have fails, and we have recommendations. But first, I want to throw it over to Jamila, who's got a listener shout out. Yeah, I just briefly want to send some love to Miss Vicky, who is a listener to the pod. Vicky is the cousin of Stefan Wynn, who was my intern for many years, longer than the internship program technically should have lasted. But we just found a love for each other. And, you know, he wanted to be in the Ebony office and we wanted to have him there. And this beautiful and brilliant young man passed away unexpectedly last weekend. And Miss Vicky was kind enough to reach out to me and make sure that I was aware of what happened. And when she mentioned, she confirmed with her nephew that I, or with Stefan rather, that I was his Jamila when she heard me join the show. It really touched me. Um, and I just want to say in this space how much Stefan touched my life and the life of so many others and how grateful I am to have known and loved him and how sorry I am for your loss and that I am thinking of you and I am here for you at this time. That's really sweet, and we're really sorry, Jamila. Stefan sounds great. Thank you. Let's start with triumphs and fails today. And Elizabeth, do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I have like something in the middle there, like all things in parenthood, there are some ups and some downs in this moment. But after like an amazing summer with Henry, we have entered like a period of these flares again, which is something that happens with his pandas and they're not entirely sure why we actually suspect that maybe one of us is a strep carrier and are now just like giving it to him in the house because he hasn't been around anyone else. So we just had kind of a rough Thanksgiving holiday of lots of outbursts. And with that has come this symptom of separation anxiety, which we had he hasn't had in a long time. And the thing is that he just like attaches himself to me and he cannot leave me alone. So he follows me from room to room. Like he doesn't want to do any other activity. If I'm not there, he needs to just be with me. This is one of the things obviously we process with a, with a therapist and, and are working a lot with, but it is just so 
draining, like to have this child that just has to be with you all the time. I mean, the the good thing is that in the past, the separation anxiety would have manifested in kind of more anger and more outbursts. And instead of that, he feels very confident that I can like provide for these needs, which is something we've worked on. So that's like, great. I feel like as this triumph has come, it's like, okay, I know what he needs and I am able to provide it. But the con is like, I basically have not done anything for a couple of days because he's just been there with me. Even getting just like our normal homeschool schoolwork, like I can usually count on him to like sit and get some work done on his own. But now, like, if I'm not at the table sitting, he won't even attempt the work. Like, he needs to follow me wherever I am, whatever other parenting thing, fall asleep, like, touching me. So I basically don't want to be touched by anyone else because he has just been on top of me for a couple days. So it's been kind of this balance of, like, I feel like we've made strides. But And and when we had the big success in the summer, like, I knew that this was coming because that's just the way this disorder works. But we are kind of back figuring out where we are and what's the next step and and also dealing with him being, you know, right there with me all the time. So some ups and downs, and we're hoping we're kind of on the on the other side of this, but I've taken up embroidery again because it's something I can do while he sits on me and while I sit there, you know, I'm not allowed to do anything else. I have to be kind of like focused on him, but the embroidery, I can talk to him and be there. So more embroidery hoops coming to my house soon. <laughs> That's like a an SEO play as writing an article, activities you can do while a kid is sitting on you. Yeah. Uh, for those listeners who might not remember or who might be new to this, can you just quickly explain what Pandas is? Oh, sure. So PANDAS is a um, pediatric neurological disorder where basically when Henry got strep when he was around three, it crossed into the blood brain barrier and uh, I guess not a barrier in this case and caused some swelling. And so as a result, he suffers from OCD and obviously separation anxiety and just all all these kind of terrible emotional things caused as a result of this of this brain swelling. And it's really new. And so finding like good treatment options is, is very difficult. And we go through these periods of like, things are great. And we found good medications and all of that. And then also these periods of just like, we're in a flare and trying to manage the symptoms and figure out what the next treatment is. And the crazy thing is that each time we go through this, like science has progressed and COVID is doing some similar things. So there's been some some new treatments and new studies and we're kind of back looking to decide what's the next step for him. Well, good luck with that. I know that that is hard and being in physical contact with anyone, uh, even a beloved kid, but especially a beloved kid who's struggling like that is a real challenge. Jamila, I saw you had a visitor in your Zoom window just a few minutes ago. Is that related to your triumph and fail or just completely separate? I have a fail this week. Yes, my my little friend was in the closet. Oh, she's back. Hi, Naima. Hi, I'm her little friend. Yes. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I realized recently there are a lot of foods that my mom made for me growing up that I haven't cooked for Naima. I decided I wanted to start cooking some of those dishes for her. So I made her lasagna. Uh, the other day that it was, you know, it was okay. I uh, wasn't my best, but she, you know, she enjoyed it well enough. And I made some manwich last night for dinner. Manwich was a staple food in my household. There are a lot of foods that I realized. I'm like, wow, rice sovereignty, the San Francisco treat, uh, scalloped potatoes, potatoes are gratin, you know, all the potatoes. These are things that I ate on a regular basis. And I know I'm not going to integrate all of those, you know, high salt, high carbohydrate foods into her diet that I was fortunate enough to grow up eating. So anyway, I made manwich, which was and is still very delicious. And I rightfully expected that a child who enjoys burgers, uh, turkey burgers, and who enjoys ketchup 
and occasionally barbecue sauce and bread would enjoy this really great combination of these things. Naima, what did you think of the manwich? What's a manwich? The sandwich that you had for dinner last <laughs> the night. Sl- the Sloopy Joe? The Sloppy Joe, yes. Um, it was okay. Okay, it was okay. Uh, which was not the reply I was going for. No, when you serve a kid something like that, you want them to be like, where has this been all my life? Right. I wanted her, I wanted it to be a revelation for her. I wanted her to enjoy it. And also, to be fair, while she's admitting that it was okay, it was a challenge to get her to eat the manwich. And I did something that I don't always do. And perhaps this is the triumph. There is a, this is not a fail. This is a triumph. I did not cook or provide an alternate dinner. I said, this is the dinner that I've made. Now, did she eat a second dinner afterwards? Yes. <laughs> but she was just very hungry. It's just a completely separate meal that has nothing to do with the first meal. Completely separate meal has nothing to do with the first meal. It just happened to be the meal she wanted all along, which was some uh, Campbell's chicken soup, which is a staple from my childhood that I hated that she enjoys and requests. I would never say like... Do you just want to have this soup, even though you're not sick? And she's like, oh, on a good day, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping, and I would like to eat Campbell's canned chicken soup for my dinner. Like, that is the choice that she's made for herself. But the triumph is I cooked the manwich. I insisted on her eating the manwich. She ate a good portion of the manwich. I ate the rest of the manwich. Was it as delicious as you remember? Was it your Proustian Madeline sending you back to your childhood in Chicago? It was. You know, it was like, manwich was not like an exciting meal. In fact, there are plenty of times that I saw it and I rolled my eyes. But to be fair, I was probably eating it like every 10 days, you know, like it was there regularly. But like, I could always admit that it was a good meal. Probably not the healthiest meal. It probably does encourage you to intake a bit more meat than one should because going for seconds is just simply just spooning loose meat into um, either more bread or just into your mouth as I was doing last night. But yes, it was still quite tasty and easy to make. I mean, all it has so much promise. I'm like, this could be a thing for us. I think it takes like nine times, you know, for a kid to get used to a meal. Wasn't that when they, when they were babies? Didn't they tell us that introducing food? So I think you can just apply the same thing here and she needs to eat it eight more times. And then she can render an official verdict. I like that. And I'm also willing to do a homemade Slappy Joe. But shout out to Manwich for still existing and tasting like you did in 1992. (laughs) I absolutely had no idea Manwich still existed. It's a delight to hear that. I can't think of any other food that has just one bite just took me back to a place in the way that that (laughs) Manwich put me on the couch for Fresh Prince of (laughs) Bel-Air. And getting my hair braided before bed. I I was right there. I think this is all triumph. I see no failure here. My only concern is with the gendered nature of a man witch. I just don't know that. That is okay. I find I'm comfortable with that in 2020. Last night was the first time in my life that that occurred to me. (laughs) Like, I did not. It was just not a thing. You know, I was like, wait a damn minute. You know, so there's a great, and I'm sure some comedian has, I hope that there's some really great stand up bit about, like, you know, what the fuck is this, a man witch? You know, like, what exactly makes a sandwich manly? There's definitely a hack comedian who's done, well, a woman witch. Let me tell you about that. (laughs) I love knowing about man witches. I can only imagine the horror on Harper's face if I attempted to serve her one. That almost makes it worth it. I might try it out because, boy, Lyra would just be in, it would be her dream, just a plate of meat. 
Naima looked at it as if, like, she gave me the face that I gave my mother when she arbitrarily pulled out some Depression-era dish that her parents made, probably out of poverty and, like, nostalgia of their own youth for her that they didn't necessarily need to. Well, there were a bunch of them. Like, she made me something once that had white bread, sugar, and stewed tomatoes. And I, to this day, I don't know what the fuck it was. I don't know why it was. Were those the only ingredients? Uh, maybe butter. <laughs> Did your parents ever make you eat cream chipped beef on toast? No. That no. was a that was a classic that I'm sure my grandmother made for my mom that she made for us. That's just literally like roast beef, like a flour sauce, and you put it on toast. And that was like a that was a frequent dinner in our house growing up, and it definitely felt like straight out of hooverville i felt like that was the dish that gave stouffer's entrees a bad name like i'd see it and i'd be like oh i know why you guys think this isn't delicious but it's actually great because we also ate right. a lot of stouffer's um lasagna uh growing up but that cream chip beef was always right there looking at me like <laughs> <laughs> can't believe i ate that as often as i did all right i have a triumph this week we have a group of friends from college who we have remained really close with over the years you know, maybe the last five or six years, we've been thrilled because our kids have all started to become really close friends as well. We would just, you know, a lot of them live in Durham near where we went to college. And so when we would go down to visit, we would sort of just throw all those kids together and see how it went. But the good news is that they're all weirdos of different sorts, obviously, because they're our kids and they've really bonded over the years. And we now try and get together during the summers when we can pull it off. They have a text chain, all these kids with each other. They just love each other. They just immediately were peas in a pod and like got that their parents were friends. So they were going to be friends too. And that's been really rewarding. And the last time that we gathered all these kids together, we were staying in a big house in the mountains and we did a play reading one night at that house where all the kids were assigned roles. And we just took a play and photocopied a bunch of copies of it. And we just did it like it was a table read on the first night of rehearsals. And the kids had a great time. We're all drama people. Our kids are also drama people. So obviously that worked out. And I really wanted to find something fun for these kids who are scattered all over the country to do together. So a couple weeks ago, I decided it was time to put on another show. So I assigned all these kids, these far-flung kids, roles in Arsenic and Old Lace. And I photocopied (laughs) scripts, mailed everyone's scripts to them with like their character written on it and their name. And I told everyone that they should figure out costumes and makeup and we would do it over Zoom. And so on a Saturday night recently, we all gathered over Zoom There were kids zooming in from Durham and from New York City and from Kansas, and there was one kid in Vancouver, and they all read this 1940s comedy about sweet serial-killing old ladies, (laughs) and it was just the best fucking thing. It was so much fun to watch and to watch them attack these roles and reconnect with each other and do this totally silly thing. I read the stage directions and sort of helped when things went off the rails, helped get them back on the rails. (laughs) And we were short one role. It's actually in the great tradition of like 1940s Broadway. There are like 15 people in this play. Uh, When it first went up, you would never put up a straight play on Broadway now with a cast that big. So we recruited to play the final police officer in this play, our friend Mac, who is, you know, an actual honest to God award-winning playwright and actor and grown up, (laughs) child-free grown up to just play one this last cop. So even though he doesn't have kids or maybe... Because he doesn't have kids, he was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. And so there on the Zoom screen, there were just all these kids in their like big hats and 
old age makeup and stuff and fake mustaches. And then Mac sitting in the middle of it with a hat with like a silver star on the front <laughs> and just doing his lines with gusto. And it was so much fun. It's such a great way to get these kids back together and very, very entertaining and definitely also a copyright violation. Dram- dramatist play service, please don't shout at me for how we appropriated your play. But uh, man, it was great. And I definitely recommend if you have a, a group of far-flung, dramatic-minded kids who are missing each other, it's a fun way to get them together. Damn, dramatist play service. I was thinking that is something that the internet deserves to see. That could be, at the very least, if you'd recorded it, edited down to a consumable bite. Because that just that is the best idea. I love everything about that. It was really That's fun. Uh, the stuff we couldn't air would definitely be all the the text from the play, but the stuff we could air were all the cases of siblings yelling at each other from across the room about how, <laughs> it's your line! Say, Jesus, say your line! I love that. <laughs> great. Until the last two years, that was how Naima's birthdays, I mean, they were not starring children. And maybe that's the next version, Dan. You've given me some inspiration. But like, we would do these elaborate plays at Naima's birthday party. And essentially, I would narrate and it would be largely improv. And so at Naima's fifth birthday party, we did a retelling of the new edition story. And Stefan, <laughs> um, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, played Johnny Gill. Like, that was just a thing that we did. And my best friend, Will, I'm, I was a theater major in college, and my best friend is still very much a theater person. So, like, you had this actor, you know, and these, ch- and, like, interacting with these kids. It was just so great. I love that. I'm going to totally steal that. But also one adult professional actor, because that really made it even better. Yes, that it absolutely has to be. And I will you like, I will get the most visible professional actor I can. I want, like... Right. Now that I live in LA, I'm just going to like knock on Denzel's door or something. And like, that's how we become friends. And he does it. Given in general, his taste and material, the number one actor of the 21st century, according to the New York times, I can't imagine he would say no. All right, let's uh, move on and talk some business and slate. Plus this week, we're talking about the Santa visit in 2020. Will your kid be satisfied by a mall Santa behind plexiglass? What about a one-on-one zoom call with Santa Claus? Or should the tradition maybe just go out the window? Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you're a member of Slate Plus. There are other ones where Santa's like trying to touch your hand through the snow globe. And I feel like that is where it becomes creepy. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. It's just $35 for your first year. It's a great way to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting and other lesser Slate podcasts. And you won't hit a paywall on Slate.com. So you can keep up with all the journalism that Slate does. So... If you want to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting and other lesser Slate podcasts, go to slate.com slash Plus and join Slate Plus today. Tonight, Thursday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific, tune in to Jamila's Slate live show, The Kids Are Asleep. She'll be joined by Don Will to talk about the struggle of making money as a creative during the pandemic. The Kids Are Asleep is every Thursday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. If you can't catch it live or if you want to catch some previous shows, go to Slate's YouTube and Facebook pages or check out slate.com slash live. Sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to hear about everything that Slate publishes about family life, including mom and dad are fighting, the kids are asleep, ask a teacher, care and feeding, and much, much more. Plus, it's just a, you know, a feelingsy email from me every Thursday. So sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. And if you're looking for more parents to talk to, join the Slate Parenting Group on Facebook. It's super active and it's super moderated, so no question gets too out of control. It's full of helpful people with good advice, or sometimes when you need it, just a little commiseration. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. All right, moving on, let's do our first listener question. 
It's being read, as always, by the incomparable Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, help. I have a six-year-old that is questioning Santa due to some non-celebrating neighbors who told her that Mom and Dad are lying to her. Sweet. Anyway, my predicament is that she's been asking for a real horse for months now for Christmas. Uh, Not an option. She is now basing the existence of Santa on if she receives this horse or not. Any grand ideas on what to say or how to help with her letdown so Christmas morning isn't a total loss? She's my oldest, so first time I'm dealing with something like this. Thank you. So I'm going to give everyone just a moment to get their little ones out of the room. If you've got little ones that are listening to the show, you've got 10 seconds to clear them out because I'm going to say some things that you probably don't want them to hear. Okay. Horses aren't real. Horses are not real. They They're, don't exist. I've never seen a horse in my life. Um, <laughs> Santa, of course, is a lie, right? It is not real. So if you are to tell the lie of Santa Claus, you are allowed to make this lie as grand as it needs to be for it to exist as long as you think this lie is necessary for your child, right? Like they all at some point figure it out. And deep down, they all knew all along I will personally admit that I kept the party going longer because I think I mentioned this last year. I recognized that I got two sets of gifts at Christmas, right? Because my father doesn't do Christmas. I got mommy gifts and I got Santa gifts. If there is no Santa, if I acknowledge what my friends are saying to be true, does that second pile of gifts go away with it? Right. Absolutely. So I held on to that as long as I possibly could. And I think in a lot of, you know, that is part of the reason that a lot of kids are holding on. So if you want your child, and I do believe that it's six, like you could get another year, maybe even two out of this, right? Lean into the lie, make it bigger. You may need to have her engage with somebody who is Santa Claus. So have somebody who you've saved their name and your phone is Santa. Like Naima had believed that one of my male friends was Santa for years. Like, and his name in my phone is still Santa. And I would call on him as a desperate disciplinary measure when simply trying to encourage my child to do the right thing was not enough. I would call Santa on her to protect this idea of him being real. And like, how do you know, like you've probably had to explain away some other part of the Santa myth in a way that makes sense, right? Like, you know, we don't have a chimney or how does he get to everybody's house, in, you know, in one night? And what happens to children that, you know, go between two, how like, just make the lie bigger, make it big enough for your child to be able to fit into it. And then as far as the horse goes, bring Santa into the explanation as to why a horse is not feasible. Have Santa write her a letter explaining his choice. You know, like, it's not like, well, if she doesn't get the horse, it's just time to let this thing go. No, your imagination is not big enough for Santa and I'm disappointed. Get to spinning. I mean, yeah, in a way, what you have here is a gift, right? You are not the reason this kid is not getting a horse. Santa is the reason this kid is not getting a horse. For example, due to aerodynamics and weight ratios, Santa's inability to put a horse on his sleigh or the fact that reindeer, it's well known, hate horses and would immediately try to bite a horse if the horse was on the sleigh. There are any number of reasons that Santa could not bring a horse, unfortunately, but would be happy to bring you this horse stuffed animal or horse doll or a gift certificate for riding lessons or whatever. I do think that when the time comes and on Christmas Day, there's a horse related gift and maybe an explanation from Santa as to why he just couldn't pull off a horse this year. I think your kid will 
potentially be more interested in the magic of Santa communicating with her than she will be willing to say that the lack of a horse under the tree is definitive proof that Santa doesn't exist. Okay, I disagree with both of you on the premise that Santa's not real. (laughs) So I I believe that obviously Santa as a person is not real. But I do think that Christmas is about Santa as this spirit of giving and of community and of Christmas kind of magic does exist. And I think there is a time at which when your children start to question this, that you get to bring them in on that kind of magic. And so instead of maybe going bigger and kind of delving deeper into the lie, you have the opportunity to sort of say, like, you are of this age now where you get to be part of this Santa magic. We here have kind of dragged, I mean, listen, my family is doing all, we lie to our kids about two siblings for a joke. So it's not about the lying necessarily. To me, it's about this idea that you can kind of blend this time when they were like true believers in all the magic into kind of this adult getting to believe and getting to do these things for other people and still receive some of that like Christmas magic. So we do have kind of the rule like, if you don't believe, you don't receive. Like, I say that all the time. Basically, if you spoil it for someone else, then there's not going to be that fun under the tree. Because as long as the little ones are sort of still playing this game and we're all doing this, then Santa is going to bring you things too, right? Like, there are going to be things under the tree. I think it is okay, though, if you feel like this has already been explained to say, like, listen, I'm the one who fills your stockings and I'm the one who puts these things under the tree, but you get to help be Santa. And if that means that we go help a family that, that you know, can't afford gifts or surprise someone, or if you have some magic ideas for your siblings or for a grandparent or whoever, that you can be part of this. And I mean, that is something that in our family we have always kind of done is that like we call it being Santa for someone else. So I think that by the time we sort of get to that point where we're questioning Santa, it's like we're questioning the idea of like, is there this guy who comes down, you know, the chimney? But that's like no more crazy than any of these other things that we do at our house, like these other like that we're all pretending to be wizards or we're all pretending to do this. And they understand that that's fun. But what we do say is like this magic of Christmas is real. And sometimes like You may get something at your front door that was unexpected by someone who did something really kind for you, and that is Santa, right? So I think you have this moment here where you can kind of say, like, well, the horse isn't coming, and here's why the horse isn't coming. Like, your neighbor told you, you know, that Santa isn't real, and that's not entirely true. Like, you're you're right. We're the ones providing the gift, and we're not getting you a horse. Um, You know, I think the other thing to do is... If you are going to lean in to this, because that is a perfectly acceptable way to approach this, I did want to say there's a way that you can actually have Santa mail you a letter, like you write the letter, but it'll be postmarked from the North Pole. So if you're worried about the disappointment or anything like that, you can also just send off a letter as long as you do it before like the 7th or 8th, it'll be back to your house by Christmas, you know, postmarked by the North Pole. And you can look that up on the United States Postal Service website. They stamp it in. Um, see, clearly, I know all these things because we have le- we have leaned in in that way. But I also think that this is the moment in which you really can just say, like, we're going to let you in on this other secret. And, and it's OK to not, you know, bring it along for one more time. It may be more fun for your child to help with the other kids and do some other kind of fun, magical things this Christmas for someone else. Elizabeth, that is a heartwarming and beautiful notion of what Santa is that is absolutely positively useless for those of us who use Santa as a way to get our fucking kids to behave between December 1st and December 25th. 
but I commend you for it nonetheless. I have a question for both of you, which is what, if anything, do you do about these neighbors who told a six-year-old that's, that her parents are lying? And also, like, are these non-celebrating folks, are these the children or the adults of the house? You know, like, I, I'm wondering, because those are two very different conflicts. Like, is it the kid who was trained by their kids to just, you know, say that this isn't real? Or did some mean-spirited adult just refuse to indulge you and, in, you know, at, at the very least being silent about something that exists in your home that might not exist in theirs? But I would have... Uh, did not even dawn on me that it could be adults but that's even funnier <laughs> that's so much funnier and so much scarier and like if that is the case then we would definitely have to have a conversation like uh like i've had with my siblings who do not uh my sister and her child do not participate in christmas i said what you do in your house is fine but in this house we serve santa claus okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if it's kids yeah that you know it's that's a that's a not uncommon tension. And I feel like that's not actually that hard to deal with. You don't obviously deal with the kids at all and you don't talk to their parents about it. It's not their parents' problem, but you just say to your child, you know, lots of people believe lots of different things in yep. lots of different houses and people say all kinds of things. Whatever your neighbor believes really doesn't have anything to do with what we believe in our house and what you believe. And so it's up to you to decide how you feel about this thing. You can always say that if your parents don't believe you can't, you know, that's why he doesn't come so that they have taken something from their child with their lack of the, uh, belief. What a gift I'm giving you not being one of those evil parents who don't believe in Santa Claus. Yes. kid. You're I'd probably welcome. write them a, a letter about the Christmas spirit, leave them a <laughs> gift and sign it Santa. But <laughs> clearly that's Drop scary. it down their chimney at one in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. The issue with Santa aside the question of what happens when your kids don't get the insane gift they've decided they're definitely going to get for Christmas is a recurring one that people at all different levels of belief and all different income levels deal with all the time, right? There's, I think every parent has had the experience of a kid has decided they're definitely getting X. There's just no way they're getting X, either because it's too expensive or it's too impractical or often in our case, because we just don't want our kids to have that thing. Part of Christmas is understanding that there might be some age-appropriate disappointment on your kid's part and helping them come to grips with that disappointment and be grateful for the things that they have gotten. And that can be frustrating for adults. I find it very frustrating as an adult. And I, thinking back to how ungrateful I often behaved when I was a kid, I'm, very, I'm embarrassed for myself. But that's very natural and not something that necessarily has to, quote unquote, like ruin Christmas or make it a, a total loss. What's going to happen is that there will be a mix of disappointment about the impossible thing they didn't get and excitement about the things that they did get. And it's totally fine for those things to coexist. They do coexist in life. Like as an adult, sometimes you're disappointed with gifts, you know, your significant other gifts you or whoever, right? I mean, I think those are very... Oh, I never have once been, Elizabeth. What are you talking about? 
this is for another show, but Jeff is a terrible gift giver. Oh, um, <laughs> so really? Whole segment. He it's worse because he means well. That's actually the worst. That's like the he's worst. so excited about the oh, terrible no. thing he's giving you. I know it's a really it's really thing. rock hard place. But I th- I agree, Dan, that like disappointment is just something that's okay. I think you can of course mitigate that by making sure you know your kids' lists have multiple things on it, and you are like guiding them so that you are able to say like yeah, but you got you know these things that you wanted and are more practical or that you needed. I think it's also a great time to have a conversation about wants and needs, right? Like we don't always get everything we want and we're trying to provide, you know, the things that you do need. I mean, Dan, in your kids' cases, though, if they didn't make the list, it's their own fault. (laughs) Oh, they're not shy about making lists for us. (laughs) Why don't you just give those to the grandparents? Right. (laughs) Because the lists are always things that we would never ask their grandparents to get them, which we're also not getting them, like, you know, a $1,000 gaming PC. Lyra, don't listen to this They, too, will be disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, if Lyra does the name search in um, the transcript that she does each episode <laughs> to see if I discuss her, she's she about to learn an exciting I lesson about what she's going to get for you, Christmas Lyra. or what she's not getting for yeah. Christmas. All right. Um, the other option, of course, for this listener is to just buy the fucking horse. Buy a horse. Horses are great. You'd love having a horse in the house. Let us know what happens, listener. Please drop us a line. Embrace the chance to let your child know that either Santa is all around us or that Santa definitely exists, but just that horses don't eat the same things as reindeer, so he couldn't have a horse at the North Pole, and that's the only reason you're not getting a horse. Exactly. Let us know how it goes. If you've got a question for us, email us at slate.com or do what this listener did, and post it in the Slate Parenting Facebook group. All right, let's hear our second listener question. Once again, it's being read by the unparalleled Shasha Leonard. Hi, Mom and Dad. I know it's a bit unusual for an older sibling to send in an email rather than a parent but I'm really concerned about my brother and would love some help. I'm a 21-year-old sister to two high school freshmen. They're twins who couldn't be more different. My sister is an overachiever. She attends a specialized high school, has straight A's despite remote learning, and is an active member of four school clubs. My brother is equally as smart. He's amazing with math, and he got into a great high school. The issue is that he refuses to do the work. He's always been a bit of a slacker, but with remote learning, it's amplified. He doesn't attend his classes, he doesn't turn in his work, and when he does go to class, he doesn't participate. It's like he just stopped caring completely. Our parents have tried talking to him. They've tried taking the video games away, they've asked him if he needs tutoring, they avoid comparing the twins so he won't feel any insecurities. Our sister offers him homework help despite her own workload because she's also concerned. Even with all of this, his teachers are still calling home almost daily, and it's rarely good news. I want to talk to him, but I just don't know how. He doesn't open up to me as easily as my sister does. How do I encourage him to get stuff done? I was a slacker too through most of high school, and I managed to pull it together at the final hour to get into a great university. Should I wait for him to grow out of it like I did? What if he doesn't? Sincerely, a worried big sis. Okay, so my sister is going to find my answer like so ironic, but I'm speaking from my experience. You cannot nag someone into doing anything. I ha- I have tried. It doesn't work. Now, your children, your your sibling. I love that you are writing in about your sibling. I think you're like a wonderful human being for caring. But I I honestly think the only thing that you can do is is be there for 
your brother and for your parents to like listen and be a good sounding like ear. But eventually, like he has to decide on his own that these are things that he wants to do. And I think that for some people, the only way to do that is to have some like failure. So the the more you try to do for them and you're coddling them, the more they can put things off. Whereas if you let them have some failure and realize like, okay, other people are getting into university or other people are doing these things and that's not happening for me because I'm not doing my work or because I'm not applying myself. I'm just not sure that you can make anyone do work. And if you can make someone do work, I'd, I'd like to know how because I would like to. I'd like to hire you and bring yeah. you to my house. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. If that's a, I, I did not volunteer to take this one first because if I knew the answer to making people do work, uh, I would apply that within. <laughs> I don't have anything for you today, and I'm sorry. I also would like to commend this letter writer for being concerned about this. She seems like a great sister, a loving sister, and I like that she has this perspective as a former fuck-up who got it together like at the 11th hour, as she says, and got into a good yeah. college. I didn't even know that was possible in the year 2020, so I'm delighted to hear that it is still possible to do basically what I did. Yeah. I do think there is one thing that this letter writer can do, which is not nagging, but which is serving as a kind of inspiration. Not necessarily an inspiration in the sense of telling your brother, hey, I know where you're at. I fucked around for three years and it was cool. But instead, in in living the kind of fun and exciting college life that can serve as a kind of inspiration for a kid who's still trying to figure out what they want out of their post high school life. And at some point you hope, and I hope, and I'm sure your parents hope your brother will decide the future I want is valuable enough to me to put in the work at this stuff. Even if I don't think it's the most fun thing I could be doing right now. And your job in this family, to some extent for him, is to serve as a shining beacon of what that future can be, to be having a great time at college, to be studying things that are way more interesting than the stuff you study in high school, to be making friends and having adventures, and then coming home and telling him about these things, not as a way of saying, look what you're not going to do, dumbass, or even as a way of saying, if you don't do this, buddy, you're not going to get to have the life I can, but instead just to be there as an example of what the fun kind of life he could have if he really finally gets around to it and buckles down could be. That seems valuable to me. And it's handy to you that the best thing you can do for him right now is to just live the best possible life you can, have the most fun and have the best college experience you can pull off. Admittedly, a tougher task than usual in the year 2020 going into 2021, but eventually, hopefully, a little bit easier. And I think if you think of yourself less as the one who's going to be able to talk to him when no one else can, and more as a person who's lucky enough to be in a position that he might want to be in in the near future, I think you might have more of an effect on him than you might otherwise be able to have. Yes, I agree with that. And I also think that it's worth, you know, it's tricky. You don't want to spend too much time rhapsodizing over, you know, if you make some changes now that I didn't make at your age, right? Like if you if you can turn around things quicker than I did, you can perhaps save yourself a whole lot of money in student loans, right? That they're, you know, that, that your path can be easier if you stop the slacker stuff sooner than I did it. Uh, 
like you don't want to become his parents. You don't want to become a broken record or someone that he just genuinely doesn't uh, appreciate hearing. And because like essentially for two academic years, there's been a situation in which you can't really show him the spoils of the life that this achievement has to offer because college is shut down. You know, it's not something that you can look at and say like, oh, I really want to do that in the way that you would prior to COVID. But like, I just also add, considering the vast age difference between you and the twins, to some extent, it it may be, you know, maybe perhaps even the inclination of your parents to want you to take a role in your little sister's life that you wouldn't take in your little brother's life, right? Or ways that you may feel connected to her, or responsible for certain parts of her experience or guiding them or providing some insight that you might not be as inclined to do and provide for him, which is, you know... Not necessarily a great thing either, because there's certainly a lot of experiences and thoughts and things that a woman your age has to offer a young man, particularly one with whom she's connected in the way that you are, that is urgent and important to his development, just in the same way that you can be supportive of your little sister turning into a woman. But like, this may be the twin that you talk to the most, you know, it may be that you're taking this special interest in him and that he's had and, and what it means to have someone take a special interest in you, you know, and particularly as somebody who is not finding that his academic life is bringing him the sort of fulfillment and affirmation, perhaps that we might want it to so that he wouldn't be having these challenges. Like, He's your special baby and your project and your little brother that you dote on and you know, you're invested in this in ways that most people your age should not or would not typically be. And that's important. I also think it's totally possible that when remote learning is over, you're going to see a different set of actions from your brother. I mean, he's, you know, in eighth grade or seventh grade or whatever, he was good enough at what he was doing to get into this great high school back before there was remote learning. And when remote learning is over, I think it's totally possible that he will shape up at least somewhat. And I wouldn't put too much weight in terms of how you think of him as a student on just how he's handling this year, a year that almost everyone is handling really badly. So keep that in mind too. Like I'm sure that any nagging at this point that most kids who are struggling with online school are getting from anyone is like not helping because online school kind of just sucks for most people. And so bear that in mind too, as you're thinking about how frustrated you might feel, there's you know, a very good chance that next year at this time, the answer will be, oh, you know what? He's doing all right without any intervention from anyone. All right, letter writer. I hope that this helps. Let us know what happens. We're cheering your brother on and uh, we love that you are a listener. We love that you want to help. We love that you wrote us. Other listeners, if you want us to weigh in, We accept letters from all family members, from kids, from adults, from sisters, from brothers, from aunties, from uncles, grandparents, anyone. We'll take it from concerned strangers. We'll probably yell at you. But anyone else, send us a line, momanddad at slate.com. Let's move on to some recommendations. Jamila, what are you going to recommend this week? I'm recommending eczema honey products. I have an undiagnosed skin condition that I've been living with since I was in college and have not found a dermatologist yet who can properly diagnose it. And it leads to some discoloration and scabbing at times. It can be really uncomfortable. And like, I mean, it literally like I, it started in college and I was like diagnosed with scabies and it was absolutely not scabies. So like that was a not fun thing to have to deal with. But anyway, I have worked with a few dermatologists to land on a few and a few different types of doctors to land on treatment 
And I haven't quite found the thing that works perfectly yet, but I will say, and I've spoke to other people who have actual eczema, uh, that these products have pampered my skin that has been brutalized by years of me putting all types of, you know, acids and lotions and things and lasers on them while trying to make them feel very smooth and like eczema honey nothing had like it's just i'm kind of gobsmacked by it like how much softer and just how much better my skin looks and feels uh prior to me using it there is an oatmeal bath there is the actual like the center i guess the product that's the base of the line which is like the eczema honey it's a honey based um product that comes in a little jar that you smooth on your skin after a shower and there's a soap and they are all great. So eczema honey products, widely available. Check local and indie retailers and eczemahoney.com. You will love them. Your body will very well. Thank you. If you have eczema or something that kind of looks like it. Elizabeth, what about you? I'm recommending Mail Order Mystery. And it's sort of like an escape room mystery challenge that comes by mail. And they have different ones for all different age groups. But my kids have really been enjoying it. It has five letters plus a final thing. And they actually send them all together. You can have them mailed individually, but we got ours all together. And then I kind of like hide the letters and stuff for them to find. But it's been a fun little thing. It has puzzles and each mystery. We're doing like a fairy tale one. And it has um, they've gotten a locket that had stuff in it. And they found a code on a you know burnt piece of paper and so they've been working through those and it's super fun and kind of taking us through um, the next few weeks we're working on those but super fun keeps your kids occupied and they're called mail order mystery here in the smith coist house we have officially started christmas overload season we basically at 8 a.m on friday after thanksgiving we hauled all the christmas stuff up I switched out all the regular records for Christmas records and put the holiday playlist on my iPod. So now it's Christmas music all the time. And there are two great Christmas songs from the early 80s that I've been listening to nonstop this year. For some reason, they've just scratched the itch way more than anything else. It's Christmas Wrapping by The Waitresses and Christmas on Riverside Drive by August Darnell, who uh, was later known as Kid Creole and Kid Creole and the Coconuts. They are both really great fizzy pop songs. They were both released on a 1981 Christmas album by the indie label ZE Records. And I've just been playing them just like nonstop for the last week because they're both very skeptical about Christmas, but also joyous, which seems just right for this particular accursed holiday season. Uh, once again, Christmas Wrapping by The Waitresses, Christmas on Riverside Drive by August Darnell. Both great bops, Christmas bops. I love them. All right, that's our show. One more time, if you've got a question, email us at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting. And plus, subscribe if you haven't already. It really helps us out, and it helps you out by making sure that you don't miss an episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting. Also, while you're there subscribing on whatever podcast app you use, uh, write a review. We prefer five stars, but we will accept six. It helps people find the show, and it obviously helps you get to heaven eventually. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp, I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening.